0: This episode of Lead to Win is brought to you by the Focused Leader One Day Intensive. To focus your leadership, claim your ticket to our November 12th Intensive before July 15th when our early bird pricing expires. Find out more at Lead2.Win/Intensive. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. I'm on
1: sabbatical this month, so we're taking this opportunity to serve up some hand-picked encore episodes of Lead to Win. This week, four steps to communicating vision a crucial skill for every leader. I hope you enjoy it. In the year 871, England was in trouble. For decades, the country had been slowly taken over by the Danes, fierce Viking raiders led by their warrior king, Guthrum. The Danes controlled most of Britain, and the Anglo-Saxon natives were confined to the small southern kingdom of Wessex. Education had ground to a halt. Commerce was continually disrupted by Danish raiders, The country was indefensible and in total disarray.
2: Wessex was ruled by a very young king with little experience. When Alfred took the throne on April 23, 871, he was just 22 years old, and he suffered from poor health. But unlike most monarchs of the time, Alfred had a great vision for his country. He saw the key to securing the future was not in brutally oppressing his neighbors, but in creating a society of learning, prosperity, and strong defenses.
1: Young Alfred reorganized the army for greater effectiveness and fought bravely against the Danes. Even better, he created a navy to combat the Danes' greatest advantage, sea power. It took time, but Alfred's vision for the country became a reality. In 878, he won the decisive Battle of Eddington, securing a final victory over Guthrum and his forces.
2: That's where Alfred showed his true greatness. Rather than taking revenge, he was merciful. He treated Guthrum as an equal and allowed his former enemies to continue occupying a portion of the British island. Under Alfred's visionary reign, Anglo-Saxon England experienced a time of unprecedented peace and prosperity.
1: But not all English kings were so successful. Just 80 years after Alfred's reign, Æthelred II took the throne. Like Alfred, Æthelred was a young king. But unlike his predecessor, Æthelred lacked a unifying vision for the country. Because of that, he was completely unprepared when the Danes started raiding again. Within a few years, the Danes were back on top and the English were forced to pay tribute. Worse, Æthelred's ineffective response produced chaos in the country.
2: It's no wonder historians gave Ethelred II the nickname Ethelred the Unready. It's actually a pun based on Ethelred's name, which means noble counsel in Old English. Unready means something like poor advice. So Ethelred the Noble Counsel was actually Ethelred the Bad Planner.
1: <laughs> there is just no substitute for vision. When we have a compelling, unifying view of the future, and when we're able to communicate, it can motivate people to accomplish astonishing things. And those who lack vision, well. They're just unready for the challenge of leadership. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt.
2: And I'm Megan Hyatt Miller.
1: And this is Lead to Win, our weekly podcast to help you win at work, succeed at life, and lead with confidence. And in this episode, we're going to explore the importance of vision to energize and motivate our teams.
2: So today, Dad, we're actually going to dig into four steps for driving that vision deep within any organization, which I think is a really key um, skill for leaders, but it's not so easily acquired in many cases.
1: Uh, It's not. There's a lot of, I think, misunderstanding about vision. You know, People think you either have it or you don't. A lot of uh, leaders are intimidated by the fact that they don't seem to have a compelling vision of the future. Mm -hmm. But this is really something that anyone can develop. And it's something important to develop because as leaders, we have to lead first, I think, by vision. If we can't create a more compelling uh, picture of the future, something that's really desirable, it's going to be very hard to motivate our team to change or to take on big tasks or really to fulfill our purpose. Absolutely. Okay. So the very first step is you've got to make your vision inspiring. I mean, people get excited about making more money, but not for long. That's not enough of a vision. And I've worked in companies... Where that was the vision, but it's not enough. What they really want, what people really want, is a sense of significance. Mm-hmm. And I think that's particularly true with millennials. Vision cannot be about personal success or achievement. It's got to be more than that. It's got to inspire others to get beyond themselves and change the world for the better.
2: Absolutely. I think that's because everybody wants to be part of something that's larger than themselves. No one's individual life is really big enough to satisfy that desire that we all have for significance, right?
1: Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that we have to do as leaders is to create or point to that larger story. What it is that we're in business or in ministry or in nonprofit work, what we're in business to do. What's the bigger why behind the what?
2: That reminds me of a quote from the author of A Little Prince, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, who says, if you want to build a ship, don't drum up the men to gather wood, divide the work, and give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast and endless sea. Wow. That's a great quote.
1: Yeah. And this is why there's got to be a sense in which the vision, just like in goal setting, mm-hmm. has got to be something challenging, difficult, outside of the comfort zone. So if it's just something that isn't going to make a difference or something that's just kind of business as usual, nobody's going to get inspired by, inspired by that. You know, it's got to be more than that. And I think we've got to dial it up. Not where it's in the delusional zone, which, again, is something I talk about in your best year ever, but something that's squarely in the discomfort zone. It's got to be challenging. People want to be up for something that uh, requires their best effort, Yeah, that requires innovation in their thinking, that inspires their imagination. And it's up to us as leaders to ask ourselves the question, is what we're trying to do as a company, is what we're trying to do as an organization, does it create that kind of inspiration? Is it something that's that's challenging? Or is it just business as usual.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I'm gonna back up for a second. I'm gonna ask you a leadership question because I have a feeling there are some folks that are listening right now who are wondering, okay, that's great if you already have a vision and now you're gonna go enlist people in it. But what if you don't know what your vision is? What if you're a leader and you are kind of stuck in the day-to-day and you're not sure how to come up with a compelling vision in the first place?
1: Yeah, I think part of what you gotta do is you gotta stand in the future. So let me give you an example. Again, back from my publishing world, when I first became the publisher of Nelson Books, one of the imprints or one of the divisions of Thomas Nelson Publishers, one of 14, it was dead last in every possible metric. So the division was not doing well. So I got hired uh, to take over the division. And the first thing I did was I went out and I started to think about what do I want? Mm-hmm. You know, why is it important that we turn this. Uh, division around. And what do I see like three years into the future? And so I literally... Well, I didn't literally, but I I tried to take a step into the future Mm -hmm. three years from now and say, what do I see? If I lived three years from now and I was actually describing what existed, not what I wanted, but what already existed...
2: And that's a key difference. That's
1: a key difference. You got to describe it in the present tense. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's helpful to describe it as a future reality or even if something past, because that's kind of like playing games with ourselves. Mm-hmm. But something that is.
2: Mm-hmm. So kind of like you have a time machine almost. You're going to yeah. like jump in the time machine, you're going to go into the future, and you're going to describe what you see when you get out.
1: Yeah. Or if, um, you know, if Martians suddenly invaded the Earth, <laughs> and they were reporting back to Mars about what they saw, you want to describe it like that. Right. So I was just saying, for example, uh, Nelson Books publishes uh, seven New York Times bestsellers per year. So that was like a descriptive sentence. Mm -hmm. Or we sell uh, 10 books that sell over 100,000 units per year. Mm -hmm. We have a stable of best-selling authors. We've got great relationships with authors and agents. You know, we have a staff of extremely talented, extremely committed uh, people. I don't don't remember the particulars, but I wrote it down in as visual and concrete a form as I could. Mm -hmm. And so that's really what we mean about vision. So it's it's nothing more, nothing less. What do you see? What would you like to see? And this is a key point. we talked about this in previous episodes. and in, in fact, in last week's episode, you've got to eliminate the limiting beliefs. Yeah. Don't stop yourself when you can't see how it is that you're going to accomplish it.
2: Yeah. Which you don't need to. Because you don't need to. Because presumably if you're three years in the future, you've already figured that out. So you're just describing That's what right. happened. You don't need to know how it happened. Well,
1: let me say this too. The what is way more important than the how. Yeah. Until you get clear on the what, the how won't show up. Mm -hmm. And so many leaders get stuck at this point because they go, "Um, well, I'd like to do this, but oh, there's no way we can get the money. There's no way we can get the funding. There's no way we have the contacts. And so they derail themselves before they ever get started Mm -hmm. because they ask the strategy question before the vision question.
2: That is central to success. Central. You know, nothing inspires people like a story. And one of the masters in this is Paul Smith, author of Lead with a Story, which helps people communicate their vision through story. Here's what Paul had to share with us.
3: The term vision statement is an oxymoron. Now, that's because a statement isn't a vision at all. Now, you can express a goal as a statement or a mission as a statement, but not a vision. Now, a vision is a a picture of the future so vivid and compelling that people want to follow you to help you achieve it. Mere statements can't paint a picture like that. Only a story can do that because only a story lets your audience see in their mind's eye the future that you want to create and, and see themselves in that future. So if you want your organization to achieve your vision, you don't need a vision statement. You need a vision story. And in my work, I've, I've come across some really creative and, and effective vision stories. Now, one of the best techniques is what I call a day-in-the-life story. And that's where you, you tell a story about what it'll be like to spend a day working at your company sometime in the future after you've achieved your vision. Now, if your, your vision is about helping your department have more of an impact on the bottom line and maybe raising the job satisfaction of the people who work there, then tell a story about someone in that department five years from now that, that shows them, say, getting invited to more important meetings and, and having their opinions sought out by senior executives, uh, uh, having a seat at the decision-making table, and, and generally enjoying the environment of working at a company whose market share and stock price have doubled in the last five years. I mean, who wouldn't want to be a part of that? Now, one of the more creative techniques I've seen was used by the strategy department of a big pharmaceutical company. Now, they, they couldn't get the president to engage on their 80-slide long-term strategy vision. So they wrote what looked like an article in London's Financial Times newspaper, which happened to be their president's favorite reading material, and they shoved it under his office door. Now, the headline of the article said that his company had just been ranked the number one most respected pharmaceutical company in the world. You know, he was halfway through the article before he noticed the date at the top and realized it was a story about the future. Now, by the time he finished reading it, He had a complete understanding of the strategy that his team was recommending because they'd written all of it into the story. Now, your vision story doesn't need to be that creative to be effective, but it does need to be a story. Good luck.
1: Okay, the second step is that you want to make it concrete, Mm -hmm. concrete, very specific statements so that people get a sense of what it is you're trying to build. Yeah. Because unless you can describe it, people can't build it.
2: And they won't know if they've built it once they're finished.
1: Exactly. So, and this is not, I don't think this is something like so many organizations do where they reduce it to a slogan or some, you know, really pithy statement. Mm-hmm. It's got to be more than that. For example, ours for our company at uh, Michael Hyatt & Company is about four pages long.
2: So this is like a narrative document. This is this is kind of like your um, story or your vision for the future, but expressed in narrative form. It's not meant to be like on a plaque is what you're saying.
1: Yeah, exa- exactly. So here's an example. Uh, we have basically four primary propositions in our vision statement. I'll just give you one and then I'll show you how we elaborate it. But again, this is like maybe four pages long. So we say, for example, we want to cultivate a work culture that is congruent with our core values. Mm -hmm. So that's one of our four basic tenets of our vision for the future. Then under that, we say things like, we only recruit people who are highly talented, extremely competent, possess impeccable character. They're positive, confident, and willing to serve others. By the way, notice that I'm stating it in the present tense. Mm -hmm. Or how about this? Uh, Our employees know our core ideology, can articulate it to others, and understand how they fit into the larger picture. Or each of our employees knows his or her unique ability and is able to express it in his or her specific role. So we're getting again very specific, not too specific, but with enough specificity that people begin to see it for themselves. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're really after, as uh, visionaries, to use Andy Stanley's word. Mm-hmm. We're we're trying to see it with enough clarity and describe it with enough. Uh, clarity that other people see what we see so that they can build, so that we can build together what it is we're trying to create.
2: Okay. So I have all these questions that are popping into okay. my mind. So, cause I've not ever written one of these myself and I bet a lot of people who are listening are in the same boat. So you're describing both the internal Uh, future, the internal reality of the company in the future, but also the external reality. So you're not just, for example, talking about uh, the products that we're going to have created three years from now, for example, or something like that, but also what the company itself looks like, the culture of the company.
1: Yeah. Well, I think of it as kind of four big categories. So I want to talk about, first of all, what is the culture that we're trying to build internally and who is a part of doing this with us? Who's Mm -hmm. the team? And then secondly, what are the products or the services that we offer? Mm-hmm. Third, how do we get those to market? How do we? What's our marketing look like? How is that different? What's our vision for that? And then finally, what's the impact that we're having in the world? And that can be the financial impact that we're having as a result of our business, but it can also be in other sort of less concrete ways, like reach or influence or You know, something that's a little bit less concrete.
2: Okay. So say those four areas one more time because I I think people are going to want to take notes.
1: All right. So work culture or the team that we're trying to attract. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Number two, the products that we're trying to build or the services that we want to offer. Number three, the marketing strategies or something about the marketing. How do we get this to to the market? How do we get the word out? And then fourth, how the impact that we're having on the world Mm -hmm. and what the results are for us.
2: It's fantastic. All right, another question for you is, what's the difference between this vision statement or a vision document, really, and a mission statement, which is more of the kind of thing you might see up on the wall somewhere in a company?
1: Yeah, and typically those are shorter. That's where I do believe-
2: Not four pages. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
1: That's where I think that you know something short that reminds us about why we're in business or why our organization exists. And this does a couple of things. It focuses on the people that we're trying to reach. Mm Mm-hmm. And it talks about what is our unique solution or what is the thing that we're bringing to them? Mm-hmm. And then what is the result? So here's ours at Michael Hyatt & Company. We're a leadership development company. So that's like the first part. What is it that we do? Mm-hmm. We're a leadership development company. We help, this is our market, we help overwhelmed high achievers. We know a lot of those because <laughs> we we're a company full of those. Right. We help overwhelmed high achievers get the clarity, confidence and tools they need to win at work, succeed at life, and lead with confidence. Make sense?
2: It does make sense. I'm inspired again already.
0: <laughs> hey everybody, Mike Boyer here sending a shout out to one of our listeners, Benjo M2, who left this review of the podcast on iTunes. Been listening since day one and have loved it. It's really great advice for any leader in work, home or church. Thanks, Benjo. We really appreciate the feedback, and we'd love to hear from the rest of you, too. If you're enjoying the program, please rate and review us on iTunes. If you're not sure how to do that, check the link in the show notes at lead2.win. And don't forget to subscribe. We don't want you to miss a single episode, bonus episode, or free content that we make available only in this channel. Subscribe today on your favorite device. And now, back to the show. Okay, so the third
1: step, by the way, the first one was to make it inspiring. The second one was to make it concrete. And the third one is to make it practical. Hmm. A vision statement is hugely helpful in making decisions. So, for example, I read that one about, you know, kind of the employee culture we want to create. Well, guess what? That vision of that kind of culture informs the way that we do recruiting. Yes, it does. It informs how we interview. And sometimes new employees, We'll sort of jokingly talk about how long it took to get into the company (laughs) because we've got this long, extensive process. But that's because we're trying to create a very specific culture that is aligned with a vision that we have of what we want that culture to look like. So that informs, at a very practical level, how we design the recruiting, how we design the onboarding process.
2: Yeah, and it's important to remember too that when you have a specific vision it brings clarity, you know, it enables your executive assistant for example to decide what appointments to schedule or not, you know, what uh, opportunities you're going to pursue or not because it always gets kind of checked against the filter of your vision.
1: Yeah, or it it even can describe how we create our products. So for example, one of the tenets, one of the main tenets of our vision statement is that we create products that enable people to win at work, succeed at life, and lead with confidence. Mm -hmm. I mean, first of all, if that's our purpose statement, Mm -hmm. then somehow that's got to get expressed in the products and services we offer. Sure. So under that, we have some statements like this. We understand that our ultimate product is not the content itself, but the experience the customer has by means of our products. Hmm. So, for example, when we recently did uh, the "Best Year Ever" live event, mm-hmm. we engineered that experience all the way down to the little details. You know, from the gifts people received when they walked in, to what they experienced in terms of the music as they were doing the personal exercises, to the lighting in the room, all of that because the details actually matter. In fact, yeah. I love something that Oprah says: "Love is in the details."
2: Yeah. The details are really in service of the vision.
1: That's exactly right. Here's another example. Um, We say we create products that delight our customers, exceed their expectations, and deliver dramatic transformation. Hmm. Now, do we always do that? No. But that is our vision. And that's the filter that we run even the practical things through. So when we're looking, for example, at Leaderbox, or we're looking at the Full Focus Planner, or even Your Best Year Ever, a book. We're asking ourselves the question: mm-hmm. Is this going to exceed our customers' experience? And if I think, not, what else can we build into it that that would help it do that?
2: Right. And I think that uh, that goal of transformation is always in our mind. And the truth is, we do pretty well most of the time, which is um, in large part to the fact that we have a clear a clear vision. You know, one of the things that I see as a thread in what you're saying is that clarity around your vision is a powerful decision making tool. Totally. And in, without that, you're it's gonna be hard to make good decisions as
1: Yeah, a leader. because you then you just tend to be, you know, expedient or, you know, what's convenient or worse, this is the worst thing, is where you're just um reacting. To your environment. So, this opportunity comes up, and somebody says, Hey, I think it'd be great if you did XYZ. Like, for example, I just got that speaking engagement yeah. or request the other day. Remember the one we were talking about? Yep. And um, this happens
2: it all the time.
1: happens all the time. Mm-hmm. And one of our team members was just saying, Hey, this looks like a great opportunity. You know, the great opportunity to make money, great opportunity to get in front of an audience. And I said, But here's the problem it doesn't really fit in with our vision of where mm-hmm. we're going. Because what I want to do, I don't mind speaking at the right events, but by and large, we try to create our own events because there we can engineer the entire experience. Mm-hmm. And because we're really after transformation, that's way different than me kind of going to somebody else's event and speaking almost like a hired mercenary. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of come in, shoot up the place, leave, <laughs> never get to see the transformation. And that's not really what I'm after. Not so much, right? So, so it's not congruent with our vision, my vision of what the future needs to be.
2: Okay, so deconstruct the process a little bit there. If you're a leader and opportunities are coming your way, you know, for example, speaking requests, maybe somebody comes to you uh, with an idea for a partnership on a new product or a new business endeavor or something like that. How does a leader? leverage their vision to make a good decision in that circumstance. Well,
1: first of all, this this is a very compelling argument for why you need a written vision statement. Mm-hmm. That becomes a litmus test. It becomes a way for you to filter out the real opportunities that are congruent with your vision. It might give you an opportunity to say you know what? We need to change the vision because that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. You know That that opens up something we haven't even thought about before. But by and large, it's an opportunity to accept or reject opportunities. And that's one of the reasons I love vision statements.
2: I do too. I also think it helps you have confidence in saying no, which is something yes. you know that leaders really struggle with, something we struggle with. It's really common. And one of the easiest ways that you can say no is when you have the clarity that it just doesn't fit with your vision. Yep. That's great. Okay, so our good friend, uh, Skip Pritchard, is an expert on leadership communication, and he's just released his first book called The Book of Mistakes. I love this. (laughs) I love that title. He recently shared a few insights about what happens when a leader fails to communicate vision or expectations clearly.
4: Yes, so there are many mistakes that leaders can make when communicating their vision, and just three of them that come to mind immediately that either I've witnessed or I've personally made are very important to be aware of. One of them is saying it once. What a mistake it is to say something once. And I recall the first time that I was leading an organization and I said, well, I said it already. And the human resource leader, the human resources leader came up and said, skip. It doesn't matter if you've said it already. You have to say it multiple times. What an incredible lesson that was for me you have to repeat yourself. A great leader sticks with a message and drives it home and is consistent in sharing it. The second one that comes to mind, what a mistake it is if you stick to the script or another way of saying it is if you're not reading the audience. So there are times when you want to stick to a script, you're maybe doing an investor call or something that's very scripted, but many more times you have to be flexible as a leader. You have to read the room. You have to see what's happening. And the example that comes to mind all the time in my mind is Martin Luther King Jr's speech, I Have a Dream, which is obviously one of the most iconic speeches of all time, the passion, and everything that he brought to that, he left the script. Now, he had been talking about a dream for some time, but somebody actually shouted out from the
1: crowd, tell them about your dream, Martin. ...to him, tell them about the dream, Martin. Tell them about the dream. I noticed when she shouts to him that he looks over at her in real time momentarily, but then he takes the text of the written speech that has been prepared and he slides it to the left side of the lectern grabs the lectern, looks out on more than 250,000 people there assembled, and I turned to the person standing next to me, whoever that is, I can't remember. I said, "These people out there, they don't know it,
0: but they're about ready to go to church."
4: When he heard that, he completely shifted and read the crowd and started to use "I have a dream." And that shift was because he did not stick to his script. And lastly, I'll just share this. One big mistake that we can all make is using lingo, using abbreviations, using shortcuts, buzzwords, technical terms that a small group understands. And then we assume that everyone understands it. Using lingo on the outside world that's meant for an inside crowd is a huge mistake. And so I think it's really important as leaders are communicating and sharing their vision to communicate in a way that says, I understand my audience. I empathize with my audience. I listen first to the audience. And then, and only then, will I seek to share and communicate my value. Not, I'm just going to bring it all out there and just ramrod it through without paying any attention. These are critical Communication leadership mistakes.
2: Okay, let's get to our final step in communicating vision, step number four.
1: The fourth step is to make it visible. So, for any statement of vision to be effective, people got to know about it. Right. You can't, you know, go off somewhere to the mountain, cook up a vision, and then stick it in a drawer and never look at it again, or just keep it to yourself. It's got to be expressed, Mm -hmm. and it's got to be expressed frequently. Weren't you just reading something about that in, in that new book, The CEO Next Door?
2: Yes. By the way, I love this book. We got an advanced reader's copy, and it's based on an article that um, was from Harvard Business Review on the four traits of successful leaders, I think it was called. Anyway, uh, one of the things it talks about is communication and how it's necessary to communicate something like eight times in a numerous uh, in numerous different ways, You know, different uh, mediums, to actually be effective and to get your message across, which I think most of us would, if you, if you were to ask me that question, how many times do you think? It takes, I would have probably said, well, maybe three or four, you know, but eight, eight is a lot. Eight feels like you're just like kind of beating a dead horse. But the point is, is that it takes way more communication than you think to uh, communicate your vision. And in fact, you cannot over communicate. You can't.
1: I remember during the recession, it was brutal. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to communicate the vision of the company, you know, over and over again so that people could be connected to a larger sense of why. Not be so discouraged. Yeah. So we wouldn't lose our, our way by losing our why. And I remember I got so sick of it, I said to an executive coach, I said, I am tired of talking about the vision. I mean, everybody's heard this, right? She said, you know what? When you're sick and tired of it, you're about half done. <laughs> wow. You think you've communicated it because you're hearing yourself say it over and over, but people can't hear it too much. Mm-hmm. And so as a leader, you've got to repeat the vision over, over and again.
2: Absolutely. Uh, You know, on our side of things, our business has grown so rapidly over the last few years that this is something we think about a lot. In fact, in the last year, we doubled our staff. Doubled. You know, that's a lot of new people that uh, have not been immersed in our culture and in our vision. And so in a couple weeks, we're actually heading off for a team retreat. And really, uh, one of the main focuses of that retreat is to communicate our vision to the team. And we're going to talk about things like our core ideology and our core values, those kinds of things that the rest of our team has already heard, although I think they're going to be excited to hear it again, some of our team members won't have heard it. And we're going to keep talking about that over and over and over again.
1: Think about this. So a year ago, half the people we on, had on staff heard me do that presentation on core ideology. Mm -hmm. So that means half the people that will be there in two weeks have not heard it. Right. The other half that did hear it have forgotten it. Right. Right. And so we've got to repeat it again.
2: Right. And we're instituting all kinds of other uh, opportunities for communication in different forms as well for this very reason, because you just can't over-communicate.
1: Okay, so we got to come back to something like we so often do on Lead to Win, and that is our own behavior as leaders. Mm -hmm. This is the most important place that the vision has to be made manifest in our own behavior. There's a sense in which we've got to embody that future that we're trying to create. So in other words, if the team sees you model the vision, it'll stick. Mm -hmm. If they see it used as a yardstick in budget meetings, they'll live by it. If they realize that it's more than a marketing tagline, they'll take it seriously. But if they sense that the vision statement means nothing to the leader, you know, it's just something... You know that you you put in a notebook and file away or hang on the lobby, on the wall of the lobby, it's never going to affect the team's passion and productivity. So as leaders, we have to set the pace. Yes. We have to to drink the Kool-Aid. We
2: have to be the vision.
1: We have to be the vision.
2: Mm-hmm. That reminds me of what the renowned philosopher and philanthropist Albert Schweitzer said uh, about what it takes to influence others. He said, example is not the main thing. It's the only
1: Oh, don't you love that?
2: And mic drop. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. I mean, it always starts with us. It comes right back to us. We began Lead to Win with three episodes on self-awareness. Yes. And it seems like in every episode, we come back to that because that is the most foundational thing as a leader. If we're not visionary, nobody on our team can come up with a vision for the organization. By the way, this is a funny thing. I, I worked in an organization one time where the leader couldn't come up with a vision. And so he attempted to delegate it, right? So he put the one thing
2: you cannot delegate. You cannot
1: delegate it. He put together a committee that he was not even part of. Oh my gosh. And I was part of that committee, and we were trying to cook up a vision for the organization. But this guy basically had no vision other than to make money. Wow. That won't work. That won't work. The
2: buck stops with us at the end of the day. All right. So today we've covered the four basic steps in driving vision deep into your organization. Number one, make it inspiring. Number two, make it concrete. Number three, make it practical. And number four, make it visible. Otherwise, Vikings.
1: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Any final thoughts today, Dan? Yeah, this work is so important. And it's not going to happen in the busyness of corporate or organizational life. Mm -mm. You've got to be able to pull away and give yourself time to really think, really imagine, and to really create the future. It begins in your thinking first, then it becomes or is expressed through your words, and then it has to be shared. So I think it's a pri- it needs to be a priority for us if we don't have time on the calendar this year to get away for a day or two and just think about where we want to be in three years. Again, not in all the details. We're not talking about a strategic plan, but in terms of vision, mm-hmm. what do you see that you want to have the help of your team in creating?
2: That's fantastic.
1: Thank you guys for joining us for Lead to Win. We invite you to join us next week for a new episode. Until then, Lead to Win.
0: This episode of Lead to Win has been brought to you by the Focus Leader One Day Intensive. To focus your leadership, claim your ticket to our November 12th Intensive before July 15th when our early bird pricing expires. Find out more at lead2.win slash intensive.